0: So one of the things that we're doing in our family right now, gearing up for the new Avengers movie that's coming out, is we're making sure that we have uh, all of the uh, Marvel Comics movies that are leading up to the Avengers movie that's coming out this spring. And so we recently picked up the most recent one that came out um, uh, last fall, Guardians of the Galaxy. Has anyone seen Guardians of the Galaxy? A couple folks in the couple of folks have. Um, it's really an excellent movie. I really do recommend it. It's an excellent movie. Even if you're not a comic book movie kind of person, it's it's an excellent movie um, because it tells the story of the most unlikely set of heroes. They're really anti-heroes. It's a ragtag group of folks that you would never expect to be heroic in any way. Mercenaries, assassins, criminals who gather together and in the face of all that is wrong in the, in the universe, in the galaxy, they gather together to do what is right and good. And they become the guardians of the galaxy and they save the galaxy from destruction. Now, at the end of the film, as a thank you for saving, well, everybody, all of their criminal records are expunged. They're wiped clean. They're given a clean slate and a chance to go out into their futures and make good in their lives. And and as they're leaving, they are warned by by the the police officer who is walking them to their spaceship. They're warned that this is not a forever pass, that if they do commit a crime, they will be arrested, prosecuted, and face the punishment for what they've done. And uh, one, of the, one of the characters, who is a little uh, hybrid machine person raccoon character, his name is Rocket. And he looks at them and says, okay, so, but what if somebody has something and I really want it so I take it? And the police officer looks at him and says, well, that would be stealing, and that's a crime, so no. He says, yeah, 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 but what if I want it more than they do? <laughs> that would still be stealing, and so, no, you, you can't do that. And, and this, this humorous bit of dialogue goes on for a little while, and there's another character that engages it in as well with his own. Uh, so what if I do this? No, that would be murder, and that's not okay either. Um, but it highlights the fact that in a lot of ways, it, it's humorous. It really is humorous. and uh, But it highlights the fact that, you know, in a lot of ways... Most of the time, most of us, we're looking for a way to get around the rules, right? We do. We look for ways to get around the rules. Anyone who has ever dealt with a child knows that this is the human tendency. Okay, but you didn't tell me to then shut the refrigerator door. You just said to get this out of the refrigerator, Mom. We're always looking for a way around the rules. I bring all of this up because um, the passage that Dick read just a few moments ago out of the Old Testament is the most classic set of rules for us. For people in the Judeo-Christian tradition, for Jews and Christians alike, it is the most classic set of rules it's the rules that we always go back to 10 very simple easy to remember rules for living rules for relationship with God rules for relationships with each other very simple so simple in fact when you look at the Hebrew for most of those it's it's one word the Hebrew for like don't thou shalt not murder is one word or actually two words, um, don't do that. <laughs> two, very, very simple. Simple, easy to remember, straightforward rules. But again, we're human, and we're always looking for a way around those rules. Even when we don't think that we are. So if I take that, but what if I need it more? Than they, what if they're not using it? What if they don't really want it? What if they just left it out on their porch and they haven't had it out of the off of their porch in ages? Can't they just take it? They're not using it. They don't need it, right? No, that's stealing. Problem sometimes though with the rules as they are listed out is that they are very black and white. In a world that is full of shades of gray. Things that the rules don't even begin to cover in intention. or they, they, they are there in their intention, but the words don't begin to cover all the possibilities of what the rules are expressing. We refer to this in modern times as the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law right and we encourage people to follow the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law sometimes we encourage them to follow the letter of the law too but but we talk a lot about the spirit of the law what is the intention of what this is about what is the intention of the rule why is that rule in place and it helps us understand the broader spectrum of what that rule is setting out for us, what it means, and what we're supposed to be doing with that. Jesus himself talked about this uh, in regards to the Ten Commandments, the spirit of the Ten Commandments, rather than the letter of the law. There's the very famous passage where he talks about, you have heard it said, uh, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you have already, or lust, you have already committed adultery with her in your heart. It's not the letter of the law, but it's the spirit of the law that he's referring to. The person may not have actually committed adultery, but Jesus was saying that it's not a matter of it's it, it's more complicated than that. Right? It's more complicated than that. Meaning you can't do things like say, well, I didn't actually do this if the end result was the same. And I I bring all of this up because I think that this is the whole reason why these two passages are placed together. The passage from Exodus that Dick read and then the Gospel of John passage about what Jesus did in the temple that day at the beginning of the Passover. At the time that Jesus was working and living and ministering and, and uh, preaching around the area in Israel, um, there was a very uh, intricate temple system that had been built up. In fact, they were working, still working on building the temple. It was still under construction. You hear them say to him, this has been under construction for 46 years. And part of making sure that they were able to construct the temple is they had to raise the money to build the temple, right? Right. Makes sense. They had to raise the money to build the temple, and they had to do that in some way. Not only that, but uh, there were a number of people who found ways to make a living centered around what was happening at the temple. Because the rules at the time stated that uh, people, in order to, uh, in order to be forgiven of your sins, or in order to do certain things, or in order to go through your ritual cleansing, you had to go to the temple and do these certain things. A lot of times they involved sacrifices, animal sacrifices, grain sacrifices, uh, different types of sacrifices. Uh, There was also the the bringing of of money to the temple to be given in a certain uh, way and in a certain manner. And so there were all these different types of offerings that you would come and you would bring to the temple. But part of the problem is, is people were coming from so far out, right, that they weren't going to want to bring, if they needed to, if they needed to bring a cow for a sacrifice, they weren't going to want to bring a cow on a three-day trek into the city to bring it to the temple. One that is just incredibly unwieldy and a little bit of a pain, but also what would happen if you would get to the temple and realize that there was something wrong with the cow? that it didn't fit the requirements, the strict requirements for sacrifice. As you read through the laws and the the rules about how the sacrifices had to be handled, it was very clear, you know, they have to be this old, without a blemish, with this going on and that and this and that and this and that. And so what if you got there and you took your cow in for the sacrifice and the priests were to say, you know, you can't sacrifice this cow, it has this defect. So then you're stuck in Jerusalem without a cow to sacrifice and a cow that you've got to take home. And so people would go to Jerusalem with the money to buy the cows. Or the pigeons. Or the lambs. Or the doves. Or whatever it was that they needed to sacrifice to offer to God. They would come from all over and they would have a number of different types of money and it was money that was out in the world and so uh, it was unclean money um, and it was also different uh, types of money and so when they got to the temple they would have to exchange the money for the right type of coin to offer to the temple. And so there were people who were set up in the temple courtyard with tables saying, okay, you give me this money and I'll give you the correct money for the temple. And people had set up this whole economy, this whole system to make these things happen for a small fee. Of course, because a guy's got to make a living. But over time, those fees were not so small. There was significant markup. And there was more and more pressure, and there was more and more insinuation that you couldn't bring your own animals for sacrifice, that you had to buy the ones that were there at the temple to buy for the small markup fee. There was the, you can't use that, you have to buy this here, and more and more and more it became a way for people to make money. People were coming to the temple to get right with God. They were coming to the temple to offer their sacrifices, to go through the ritual cleansings, to do what they needed to do to get right with God, to get right in their own lives, to do what God had called them to do and to, to, to become right and just and, and all of that. And there were people there that were taking advantage of them. There were people who were taking advantage of that. Making significant profit off of the desires of people to be more holy. Now, the sellers and the money changers and all those people, the whole system that built this whole situation, none of them were doing anything wrong, per se. There were no rules against selling the animals in the courtyard. There were no rules against setting up uh, an exchange fee for the money. There were no rules against any of that, but it sure violated the spirit of it all, didn't it? There was something just not right about what was happening in the temple. Sisters and brothers, I I believe truly that this was purely and simply injustice. People who were being taken advantage of, people who were being cheated, and people who were profiting greatly off of the desperation and the need of others. And this, I believe truly and completely, this is what Jesus was so angry about. I don't really think that he would have been so mad if they were just selling doves and and, and cows and lambs and changing money out at the temple. I, I really don't think that he would have been so angry about that. I think that Jesus was truly angry about the taking advantage of people, the cheating of people, the injustice of it all. I believe that he was angry because the people who were coming to God's holy temple to worship and to praise God were being taken advantage of. I believe that he was angry because they had taken this holy place and turned it into a tool and an agent of oppression. I believe that he was angry because while there was nothing technically wrong with what they were doing, it just wasn't right. And he saw it and he got fed up and it had to stop. And so over those tables went... Now, this morning when I read the passage, I very deliberately read it softly. Because when we talk about it, that's what we tend to do with the story. We don't talk about Jesus' anger. We don't talk about his anger, his burning anger at the injustice. We talk about, you know what, he was kind of mad, and so he turned over the tables and he chased them out and he said, don't do that anymore. And part of the reason why we do that is because we want Jesus to be nice, right? We want Jesus to be nice. We want the Jesus who said, if somebody strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. We want the Jesus who told his disciples in the garden to put away their sword and not harm the soldiers that came after him. We want that Jesus. We want a very nice Jesus. We don't want the kind of Jesus who would be so angry that he would be flipping over tables, shouting and chasing people out of the temple with a whip. We want a nice Jesus, a kind Jesus, a Jesus who wouldn't dare to get so angry about something. And that's because we, ourselves, Want to be that way. We are nice. Isn't that the new motto of our state? Nebraska nice? We are nice. And what Nebraska nice often means is that we avoid conflict. I talked last week about how um, I, I used to be somewhat conflict-avoidant. And then when I said, I know some of you are thinking you used to be, Leanne, I looked right back at my husband sitting in that back pew because I still, I am conflict-avoidant. We, we don't like conflict. We avoid it. We avoid offending others. We avoid confrontation. And so we are nice. Sometimes it's about keeping the peace. And sometimes, as we talked about last week, it's about self-preservation. But this niceness is embedded in our culture in so many different ways that it is ingrained in us to don't make a fuss, don't cause a scene, don't get involved and all will be well. Let's just all play nice. And we invoke Jesus in this culture of niceness. Because of those frequent peaceful or nonviolent tendencies that I referenced earlier, when somebody gets kind of hot about something, we remind them, now what would Jesus do? would Jesus do? How would Jesus respond? And and, and the insinuation is Jesus would find the peaceful way. But I've seen a picture being posted on Facebook recently a lot that says, you know, when somebody asks you or reminds you what would Jesus do, you know, it's appropriate to tell them that turning over tables and chasing people out of the temple with a whip is always an option. (coughs) Because Jesus was angry. And that was okay. And you know what? I believe that there are times when we are called to be angry. Because sisters and brothers, staring us in the face each and every day is the same exact thing that Jesus saw that day in the temple courtyard. Injustice. We are living in a world that is unjust and cruel. We are living in a world that has built and developed and maintained systems of oppression and injustice that work to create a need in people and then take advantage of that need. We have created addictions and then we feed them. We have created systems of poverty and then we work to keep people there. We live in a world where a parent so desperate to feed their children could enter into a business on the street a legal business and take out a simple $200 advance on their paycheck that could end up costing them over $1,000 within just a few months' time. We live in a world where young men and women need to go into $100,000 or more of debt simply to get the education necessary to secure a 25 dollars or $30,000 a year job, a debt that they can almost never pay off. We live in a world where children, children as young as and younger than those sweet, innocent children who sat on the floor with me just a few minutes ago are working in mines, in unsafe conditions, in order to help put food on their families' tables. We live in a world where women can be fired from their family's only source of income simply for getting pregnant. We live in a world that is unjust and cruel. And these things, sisters and brothers, they're all technically okay by the rules of the day. There's no rules outlawing them in the places where they're happening. And in fact, in some places, they're encouraged, right? Technically, by the rules that are out there, they are okay. But they are not right, and we should be angry. We should. We should be angry at systems of oppression and injustice. We should be angry at the systemic poverty that keeps generations and generations of people living hand to mouth or worse. We should be angry at corruption. We should be angry at intolerance. We should be angry at greed. We should be angry at the hate that drives us to keep people oppressed and imprisoned in our systems. We should be angry at all that which creates and feeds the systems that harm and hurt and destroy. We should be angry. Angry at a world that can shrug its shoulders when any of these things cause the death of another human being and say, just the way the world is. We should be angry. We should be so very, very angry. But what do we do with that? What do we do with that? If we just walk around angry at this stuff all the time, it does us no good. It does the world no good because anger without an outlet only breathes a sickness, a bitterness, a seething pit of bile within us that eats our hearts and our souls and our lives from the inside out. We need an outlet for our anger. We need to find a way to channel that anger to do something. And you know, it needs to be a healthy outlet because while turning over tables and chasing people out with a whip may feel satisfying. It doesn't get you very far. And so we need to find a way to take all that righteous anger that is burning, that should be burning inside of us against all of this injustice that is happening in the world around us. We need to find a way to take all of that righteous anger and direct it in the ways that does something. Listen for the voice of God that is calling in our hearts and in our lives. To take that anger that is sparked inside of us at all that is wrong in this world and use it as the passion to fuel that call that we feel on our lives to work for God's righteousness and justice in this world. For the changing and the dismantling of the systems of injustice that hold so many of our sisters and brothers and even ourselves so tightly in its grasp. To get involved to stand up, to stand up against injustice and stand up for what is right and good in this world, to learn, use that anger that is inside of us to learn, to hear the stories and to read and to learn about how these systems work. Learn about all that keeps people imprisoned in this world and work then to change it from the top down, from the bottom up, from the inside out, from the outside in, however that we can to speak, to speak out, to act, to share love, to show mercy, to give kindness, to do in the face of injustice and oppression and violence and all that is wrong in this world, we don't need to be nice, sisters and brothers. We need to do what is right. We need to flip over the tables metaphorically and change this world. God has called us to share God's word and to show God's love and to do God's work in this world. God has called us to help to start to build his kingdom by works of righteousness and justice, by works of love and mercy. Sisters and brothers, As we work towards this, we are working towards the day that God's kingdom will come. And God's justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And the systems of oppression and injustice and, and violence in this world will be dismantled. And God's kingdom and justice shall reign. Let us allow ourselves to be angry. As long as that anger is funneled and filtered and directed towards the building of that kingdom in good and positive ways. Let us work for God's kingdom. Let us work for God's love. Let us do all that we are called to do even if it is a righteous fire that burns inside of us, that drives us forward. Sisters and brothers, let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we confess to you today that sometimes we just don't get angry enough at the way that your children are hurting in this world. We confess to you that Sometimes we don't do anything about that anger, but instead let it fester inside of us and let us let it turn us bitter. We confess that sometimes we direct our anger inappropriately and and in ways that does no good and can cause harm. We confess to you today, Lord. that through our actions and our inactions, we have allowed injustice to prevail. Help us to change that, Lord. Help us to see what is going on around us in the world. Help us to do something about it in whatever way, in whatever way you have called us and gifted us to do so. Help us to share your love with your children. Help us to act in service, in kindness and in love. Help us to advocate for change. Help us to do what is right and good. Help us to stand up, to speak, to do and to be as you have called us in this world. Help us to work for your kingdom. Help us to work for your world. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And we pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen.